Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra, and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. Welcome to another episode of All About Art. In this episode, I speak to artist Fionn Gunn. She centers her practice around the desire to understand and analyze the extremity of human experience. She states that she is fascinated by the fundamental question, what does the experience of living mean for both us as individuals and as a global society? We chat about Fionn's artistic practice and how she uses a variety of mediums, including painting, but also sculpture, augmented reality, and film. We then go on to discuss an incredibly prevalent issue within the arts, misogynageism. This term is one that was further explored in an interview with Fionn in Art Plugged, written by art historian Verity Babs, and is something felt by women in the arts. One example of this that the article mentions is the Luxembourg Art Prize, a competition which boasts of how it receives entries from all ages and backgrounds. But up until 2019, all four winners of the prize were Caucasian men born between 1962 and 1989. So listen in to hear us talk more about that issue and possibly what we can do to counteract it. I have linked the Art Plugged article in the show notes, so feel free to have a read. And thank you, Fionn, for coming on the podcast. Before I dive in, I wanted to let you lovely listeners know that All About Art is on Patreon. So if you want some behind-the-scenes content, maybe a bit of merch, the chance to get one-on-ones with me and my guests, or you're simply wanting to support this project, I would be absolutely thrilled if you decided to sign up. You can do so through the link in the show notes. I also wanted to say thank you to those who have already signed up. Your support means the world, and it makes the further production, improvement, and growth of the podcast possible. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And now, on to the interview. Let me first off thank you for sitting down with me today. I really appreciate that you've invited me into your home and that I have the chance to conduct this interview with you. So thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to dive right in with my first question because I want to know more about your background and how you got involved in the arts. You graduated from Crawford College of Art and Design in Ireland, and you did a postgraduate year in France where you then lived for four years. You now live and practice in London. What was your journey in the arts like, and what made you want to come to London? Well, I have to say, it it was a fairly chaotic thing, really. I mean, my journey in the arts was, from the time I was a tiny child, I just wanted to be an artist. That was the only thing I wanted to do. And um, going through school, I would have teachers saying to me, oh, but you could consider this or that or the other. But no, I just wanted to be an artist. So... You know, I didn't have a lot of money and and certainly I didn't have kind of family support for um, my choice of educational paths. So when I went to art college in Cork, it was because that was the nearest art college and I could pay my mother rent rather than having to pay digs in Dublin or anywhere else. And I had actually quite a hard time at art college because we had a whole kind of crop of 
English teachers and uh, Scottish teachers who had been recruited for the new sort of relaunched uh, art education system in Ireland at the time. And where some of them were fine, some of them were really not. And I went into a painting department where the head of painting used to say to me, oh, I'd rather look at you than look at your work, Fionn. Uh, he was a sexist bastard, oh. and uh, yeah, no, he really was. And uh, he used to say things like, oh, don't know why you girls are doing art education, you're just going to be primary school teachers. And uh, anyway, he was the bane of my life and um, chucked me out of the painting department in my second year, saying that he thought my work was too three-dimensional and then I was taken in by the sculpture department and the head of sculpture there, Ian Bibby, to whom I am eternally grateful, was an incredibly respectful and enabling teacher. And and I did very well in the sculpture department and graduated with the highest mark in sculpture in Ireland, which actually, you know, it's a small population, so I don't want to make too much of that. It wasn't, there weren't that many of us. But um, And then it was a question of what did I do with my life? And I knew I had to leave Ireland because there were no opportunities and I had an unhappy home life and I just had to get away. So unfortunately, the rules and regulations in Britain had changed that very year. So as Irish people, we were no longer considered eligible for free university education or third level education and um, I hadn't realized that if I'd just come and lived in London for a year then I would have been eligible and so I kind of thrashed around and thought well where's the next nearest country to go to and oh it was like France and I thought okay I'll go there then and and um, it was literally as random as that and so I wrote to the art colleges in France and one of them got back to me with an English, a response in English. And I thought, oh, we'll go there then. And it was like this really rubbish little art college in Mess in the northeast. And it was absolutely freezing cold. And I went with a mate and I remember looking at my geography books and thinking, oh, gosh, it is cold there and not like Ireland. And so, you know, packing up all the warm clothes I could and, you know, we set off and it, we went on the cheap, the cheapest way we could. So it was a combination of kind of coaches and ferries and trains. And it took us 57 hours to arrive from Cork to Mess. And we hadn't had any sleep and we were almost hallucinating. And, and the temperature was like minus 20 and we could hardly breathe and it was a nightmare. And so we went to the art college um, and and some very kind people kind of helped us to get there because this was like years before Google Maps and stuff. So we had actual maps, but uh, it was great to have the help. And so we get there and I sort of, we ring the bell and this guy comes out and, and we said in really bad French, you know, oh, where the Irish girls have come, the students. And he went, and closed the door in our faces. And we said, what? <laughs> we had no clue what was going on. And we were so exhausted and desperate. And there was a public park behind the art college. And we went and sat down. And I remember just crying. We were just like crying. We didn't know what to do. We were freezing. We, oh. And, and there were these students who passed us. And they said, oh, are you, are you the Irish students? <laughs> and we said, 
yes. And they said, oh, why are you crying? I said, well, because they won't let us in. I said, oh, but it's the lunchtime. They close during lunch. We don't open. So, ah, okay. So, um, so then, of course, we had to, to realize that, you know, we'd gone with schoolgirl French. We had no bloody clue. And so it was really coming up with the bends. And yeah, I mean, I do like languages and, and I did learn pretty quickly, but it was a, a real sort of culture shock. And, and I have to say the level of predation on girls by the tutors at the art college was put what we'd gone through in Cork in the shade. It was shocking. I mean, you know, the there were really predatory male teachers there. And and so I did quite a lot of performances challenging that kind of stuff, so I wasn't hugely popular. But anyway, then I ended up, you know, meeting somebody and going back there and living not in Metz, but in Nancy at the Beaux-Arts, the École des Beaux-Arts in Nancy. And I lived there for four years and uh, and did a postgrad course there. And I have to say the quality of teaching was absolutely rubbish. And <laughs> it made me nostalgic for the quality of teaching I'd had in Cork. But it was nonetheless a very good experience because you're learning different language, encountering a different culture. Um, but being, you know, very aware of what was going on in terms of if you were a girl art student your experience was going to be entirely different than that of a boy's. Thank you so much for delving into that so thoroughly and, and telling that amazing story as well, because I really felt like I was picturing these two girls just sitting in this park crying. And I mean, I, I, I felt bad, but I kind of was laughing as well. Yeah, yeah, no, funny in retrospect. <laughs> because we, yeah, in retrospect, yeah, 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 you're like, yeah. oh, because everything worked out fine in yes. the end. But so typical, like, oh, it's a lunch break. Like, it's very typical of that also in, you know, like in, in France, Austria, Italy and those things in those, in those countries. It's, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. known. Yeah. <laughs> so as you were telling me more about your background, you mentioned a lot about various mediums. So you mentioned painting and sculpture and performance. Can you tell me and our listeners a bit more about your practice? Because you now work in very diverse formats, such as 2D, but also 3D, VR, AR, which is what you showed me earlier this evening, film, along with curatorial and community projects, such as, for example, the Stratum Women's Sewing Group, CIC, which you founded and led for half a decade. I would love to hear more about all of this. Yeah, well, I mean, I have to say, I, I kind of worked out fairly early on in my sort of art career that I wasn't going to be tied down to one medium. Uh, I love exploring different media and I find that a really, well, it's not just challenging, it's just endlessly interesting. It's the kind of thing that you go to bed at night and you go, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get this artwork made? And and you kind of think, oh, oh, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that. Because there, there's this funny notion, I think, in, in Britain about, oh, conceptual art is one kind of thing and it's not another kind of thing. Conceptual art is about concepts and ideas and you can use any kind of medium to to achieve that. And, and the more you explore, the more you challenge your ideas and the way you get those ideas across, the way you encompass the feelings that you have about what you're making. And I think 
One of the things that you mentioned, Streatham Women's Sewing Group, um, and it was a group that I started largely because I wanted to make sort of artworks which involved lots of people in a good way, you know, that they weren't being disempowered, that they were going to have a voice in making those joint artworks. And so I started the group with a really great sort of craftswoman, Ifra Odwell, who was Somali. And she said, well, you know, our community needs to be reskilled. And so I want to teach women sewing. And I said, well, I'd like to work on arts projects which involve sewing. And so we got together and we started the group. And what was amazing to me was in the course of the years that we ran it, and it was actually kind of six years, that the women would come initially to just learn basic skills. But they were gripped by the participation in the arts project far more than learning how to do hemming or anything else. That was a real sort of eye-opener for me because I just assumed they'd want to just make clothes for their family or for themselves, but no. It was the participation in the arts works that that really gripped them. And I could see that it had a transformative effect on them and 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 on me. And, and I so value the the wonderful relationships that we had and and continue to have because I still meet quite a lot of the women around now and and we catch up on things and they've moved on to different aspects of their lives but one of the things that did come up in the course of the collaborative projects that we made and we we had these artworks up in um, the Horniman Museum and at the South Bank Centre and the Museum of Childhood um, in Bethnal Green and I remember in the South Bank Centre I would train the women how to deliver the workshops because, of course, language is an issue. And many of these women hadn't had the option of learning English. And so that was really disempowering for them. So our our groups and the sessions that we did would always include practicing your English. But, you know, we, we did this um, project at the, the South Bank Centre and women that I trained and brought, you know, to do the workshops, which was great because, of course, when you're delivering a workshop, you're repeating things a lot and that really helps your confidence in language terms. And they turned to me and said, we didn't know we could come in here. And I said, how do you, how do you mean? They said, oh, we thought you had to be like a member or you had to pay. Or I said, no, it's free. You you come in here and experience what's here. And they were gripped by it. And, and actually, they then came back with their children to all the great free sessions, you know, music sessions on Saturday mornings for kids and stuff. And they totally took advantage of that. And I think... You know, of all of the experiences I had in terms of how institutions need to really reach out to people, that was a huge eye-opener for me. So I think one of the great and, and, you know, positive things that that I came away from Stretton Women's Sewing Group with was that enabling people to do things. And can I just say the reason that our group stopped was because we could not get funding. Because as soon as the Conservatives came into power funding for all kinds of social projects stopped. And even though we were regarded as a flagship project by Lambeth, and we had massive success in terms of moving women on to other educational opportunities and for doing things that were really positive in the community, we could not get funding. And in the end, we just had to give up. 
actually speaking of women's empowerment, but also these themes of lack of support within the arts, it brings us to the topic I really wanted to talk to you about. And that had come to my attention through an interview that you did on Art Plugged with the wonderful Verity Babs. Shout out to Verity for bringing us together. You spoke about art's misogynagism problem, stating that you have struggled to find UK representation and a strong collector base because galleries are only looking for up-and-coming young talent instead of someone who has spent years in the industry acquiring skills and experience. So could you explain this term further and how you feel it has manifested in the art world? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a complex thing because the last, the very last thing that I would like to do is to suggest that young artists and young women artists in particular should not be invested in. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there are certain groups that get excluded and we're not just talking about groups in terms of ethnicity here. We're talking about groups in terms of age and gender. And I think of all of the great discriminations in the art world, I think the discrimination against women has been the greatest of all. And you only have to look at the statistics. And and I know I, I often quote the statistics, but they are deeply shocking. And I think one of the things that hits me is that you know, I'm not a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old that some gallerist is going to say they want to, you know, have it off with me. Um, I am way too old for that. And so so that's gone. And I have to say that was proposed to me quite a lot when I was in my 20s and, and 30s. And I could not go down that road. But I still think that's there in a really kind of horrible way. I think for somebody like me, who is now 63... Um, and if I were a male artist, uh, people would say to me, you're coming into your prime, but I'm a female artist. And so I'm just being ignored. And, and, and it is deeply, deeply frustrating that that is happening. And, you know, it's not just me, I'm not taking it personally in that sense, but it's, it's a huge number of women of my age who are practicing artists and who have got, practices of quality as well and and not just that but the ability to deliver really ambitious projects and to engage very deeply with the public and it's being ignored and that's very frustrating. I was going to then as a follow-up question ask you if you think that this is something that's changing with more female representation in the arts However, I sort of need to stop myself there because even though, you know, a few episodes ago on the All About Art podcast, I interviewed Sophie Lambert from Listen Gallery, and she talked about the shows with Garrett Bradley and Laura Provost, who are two female artists, which was wonderful because we were talking about the fact that all the shows surrounding Freeze and the solo booths that they have in, in Freeze and Paris Plus, they were all with female artists, which is wonderful. However, in my research prior to the episode, I came across some statistics in Forbes and one of them really shocked me, which is probably, you know, it's it's reiterating what you said with this research, these statistics are shocking. And it was that when a man signs a work of art, it increases in value compared to when it isn't signed. But when a woman signs it, it decreases in value. 
And this article was published in August 2022. Like, this isn't something that was published 20 years ago. This is still so incredibly relevant. And it's not just that. It's still in museum collections, in galleries, and, and all of this. It's still so incredibly present. So I just wanted to hear more of your thoughts on that. And if you think, you know, in what direction is it changing or... Things like that. Well, I wish I could be more optimistic. I don't think it is changing. I actually don't. And I think there's this awful complacency that has kind of settled in that, like, oh, you know, we're, we're exhibiting all these women artists and therefore there is equality, there's parity, there's equity, but there isn't actually. This, this is all incredibly difficult and this is a difficult situation. However, in your exhibition in Liverpool... You have created an app, right? Yeah. And I would love to hear more about that and the artworks. I mean, you showed it to me earlier and I was absolutely blown away at the quality of the digital works of art that you showed me with this um, augmented reality. And um, it's just phenomenal. So I would love to hear more about that and how you conceptualize that and also how you implemented it. How did you go about even creating this app it's called um would you remind me what it's called arrivals arrivals departures yes and when you type it into the app store it's arrivals slash departures and um the app icon has a little it's gray with a white boat yeah that's right and that's what you need to download because uh pro tip from fiona earlier if you uh if you download anything else you're going to get arrivals and departures from airports and no one needs that exactly exactly (laughs) well i have to say i can't take credit for the making of this app. Uh, This is the great, you know, it was the app team at the Victoria Gallery Museum that created it. And I have to say, the photogrammetry department at the University of Liverpool, which is headed up by Ardern Hume Beeman, did the most extraordinary job of making high-quality 3D scans of six of the artworks, six of the 3D artworks that appear in the exhibition. And it's been a joy to work with them. These are people who are so conscientious and so gifted and and have produced these incredibly high quality apps. And what it means is you can, you know, you can see these artworks in huge detail in the comfort of your own sitting room. You don't have to go to the exhibition. You can see them going along the street, whatever. You you can see them. And if you take a, a screenshot, you can, you can put those artworks into whatever environment you want. And I, I do think it's part of that whole move to take art outside of galleries so that people don't feel they have to go into a particular space in order to have an experience of art. And I think that's massively important. I think there are many, many people in this country and in other countries as well who feel disempowered in terms of going into to public art spaces or private art spaces and who feel that's not for them. And so the message of something like an AR art trail like this is it's for everybody. Everybody can have this. And the other piece I wanted to talk about was Lifeboat. Mm -hmm. So Lifeboat, again, I've used this 3D scan made by my friend Sean Rodrigo, who's a virtual reality artist. And he made these scans and they're very useful (laughs) because I can paint them and, and dress them. And and so Lifeboat has has the figure of me on top of a globe and the globe contains a library 
and and the books in the library are all the sort of stories of of me i guess so strange things like fear of dogs or you know dental problems and you know and <laughs> and i had somebody came up to me at the exhibition and said oh that's very personal i don't know how you can do that and then i had somebody else come up to say oh fear of dogs yes i'm really afraid of dogs <laughs> and i thought well well that's the message there that you think something is so personal and it's so particular to you but actually you share those things yeah. with with everybody we all have stuff you yeah. know and and we're all you know, we all think, oh, we're so different, but actually we're not so different. We all have the same kinds of issues. And so I, uh, so that piece then, so the globe sits on top of this oud, which is an Arabic, it's like an Arabic lute, which I found on the side of the road during, uh, during lockdown. And, uh, and I just knew immediately I had to create a vessel out of it. And so it sits, so the globe with a figure on top, sits inside this Arabic lute mm-hmm. and it balances on oars, just on the tips of the oars. And the oars are made from spatulas that I bought at the pound shop and painted black. So, <laughs> you know, I love that thing of working with materials and objects that have been discarded and, and rejected because I can transform them into things that are not rejected. Yeah. I'm very excited to go through the app in its entirety because I'm not going to be able to make it to Liverpool to see the exhibition. How long is the exhibition on for? Well, it's until the 23rd of December. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe I'll be able to make it. I would love to. If anyone listening would like to come with me to Liverpool, please get in touch and let me know. I actually have one final question for you, and it's a bit of a fun one to round off the episode. If you could pick one artist from art history to have dinner with, who would it be and why? Well, I think for me it would have to be Artemisia Gentileschi. Mm. It would have to be. I mean, apart from the fact I, I love her paintings, I think her own story, her own life story was such a complex one. It, that resonates in in huge ways. And she produced work in her family workshop and was never really recognized for it. Um, except that she was because her name came down to us because she was so bloody good and she was better than her brothers and she was better than her father. She was a brilliant artist. And so in spite of everything she came up against, she managed to do that and pull that off. And I think good on her. And I love, I love her paintings judith and holofernes i love i love that because i can see the rage the rage of a woman who's been discriminated against and treated like shit and she has come forward with that rage and i have to say i share that rage i share it to this day so do i absolutely that really resonates with me as well fian thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for being so open and for speaking to me about your works, about your background, about your experiences. This has meant a lot. And thank you so much for sharing this with me and our listeners. Thank you. And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.